With the Seahawks announcing seven official hires, their coaching staff is starting to take shape under Mike McDonald. Who might be the most important hire that they've made so far? We're going to be diving in on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Bainbridge Island or across the country in Montpelier, Vermont. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. As we draw closer to free agency, we're going to stay in the trenches, but on the offensive side of the football after looking at Leonard Williams, whether he's going to be back, is Damian Lewis going to be back in a Seahawks uniform in 2024 and beyond? And we're going to look at the possibility of a few more Huskies staying in the Pacific Northwest with Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator. It's a jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks officially announced seven hires for their coaching staff on Tuesday. That includes Mike McDonald obviously being the head coach, but they also announced six assistant coaching hires and all of them had been reported. There weren't any surprises. There weren't any coaches that were linked to the Seahawks that suddenly backed out and decided to pull a Bill Belichick. So we have a general idea which coaches are going to be coming to Seattle as the staff starts to take shape. But aside from a hire or two, it's pretty evident that John Schneider and company They were looking at everything except past experience when they were making these hires. And really, Rob, I think it's fair to call what John Schneider's doing here with Mike McDonald and his staff. I think it's a grand experiment because none of the three coordinators that Mike McDonald has hired have done that job at the NFL level. And he's never been a head coach at any level. There's a lot of upside, but you can also understand maybe why some fans might be a little bit skeptical with that much inexperience. Yeah, Corbin, I mean, I think that uh, Seahawks fans should basically have their fingers kind of bitten down to the nub here because uh, this is a roll of the dice what the Seahawks are attempting here. Obviously, Mike McDonald has zero experience as a head coach. His offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, has zero experience as an offensive coordinator at the NFL level. And Durde had the same thing with zero experience as a defensive coordinator at the NFL level. Obviously, Grubb again, University of Washington. Durde back in the NFL Europe days. I mean, there are some uh you know games in which they have called plays on the respective sides of the football but not the nfl level so you know to me one of the the uh men who is uh very much i think important to uh 
to Mike McDonald's staff here is the, the man who is pictured here. And again, if you can see this on YouTube, then you see that Leslie Frazier is pictured. And I'll just kind of run through these names that for those of you who are not watching on YouTube, obviously Mike McDonald's head coach, Ryan Grubb and Aiden Durde as the, the coordinators, Jay Harbaugh as a special teams coordinator, who also, by the way, has zero years experience as special teams coordinator. Um, Leslie Frazier is an assistant head coach, has 10 years in that role. Some of that is as a head coach, and he has 24 years of experience overall. Kirk Olivadotti is a linebacker coach, has 13 years of experience. Carl Scott, the one holdover from Pete Carroll's staff here, is going to be the defensive coach. And as the passing game coordinator, has three years. Corbin, to me, what this is, again, it, it is a roll of the dice. And it just... It, to me, it just kind of compounds how much of a home run hire, frankly, in my opinion, uh, that I think Leslie Frazier is. I think that his experience, I think, is going to be critical because of the fact that the, the Seahawks' top coaches, and I say top in terms of their position titles, that their top coaches don't have experience in these roles. And we just finished up a Super Bowl where I think that, that you know, again, frankly, that Kyle Shanahan could have used somebody to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, are, are you sure that you want to take the ball first in overtime? Um, you know, and, not, and again, I'm not trying to criticize Kyle Shanahan. I just think that there's sometimes you need to have somebody who has some experience to be somebody you can bounce some ideas off of. And I think that that's critical for a team like the Seahawks, who as it stands right now, I think are a, comp are, are a very competitive team and are expecting to be able to kind of hit the ground running and have some success. That's why I think, especially now that we know who the coordinators are, know that they basically have a goose egg in terms of experience in their current roles, that Mike McDonald was able to lure a guy with Leslie Frazier's experience to Seattle. Yeah, and it all goes back to that past relationship. And there are a few coaches that Mike McDonald's hired that he didn't previously work with, but Leslie Frazier was the secondary coach for the Ravens in 2016, and these two developed that master and apprentice relationship. And that has carried over in the last several years. And when Leslie Frazier was not coaching for any teams last year, he was still doing some advising for Mike McDonald as the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. So these two have that relationship built. And I truly think when you're looking at this grand experiment, and I think that's the perfect terminology for this because I was trying to research this. I was going back 10 years on coaching hires and digging through a bunch of stuff. And I can't tell you the last time that a rookie head coach came in and had a rookie offensive coordinator, a rookie defensive coordinator, and a rookie special teams coordinator at the same time. And John Schneider and the ownership group have signed off on it. But the move that was announced before any of these hires were made with Dirde and Ryan Grubb, they got Leslie Frazier locked up. And I think behind the scenes that this was a conversation that John Schneider had with Mike McDonald. Hey, I want to bring in some of these other young coaches that have really high upside, but we need to have somebody on this staff that has, as Mike McDonald called it on Monday on Seattle Sports 710, that has been through the wars, that has seen everything around the corners. And Leslie Frazier, with 24 years of NFL experience, he's been a head coach for four years, assistant head coach for seven seasons as well. He has been through those wars. This guy has experienced more NFL football than all of these guys combined, even with Olivadotti included in there. So his experience, not only is it going to help from X's and O's standpoint, 
it is going to be crucial for Mike McDonald to have that older wingman that he can turn to when he's dealing with some of these challenges, like in-game decisions that John Harbaugh was making the last couple of years. Now he is going to be tasked with doing that. And so having that coach that you can turn to, I think that is going to be a huge development for Mike McDonald. And not just him, Adam Durde is the defensive coordinator. Who better to work with in your first defensive coordinator job than somebody that has had the success that Leslie Frazier has had? Three of the last four years he was in Buffalo, Rob, they finished second or better in scoring defense. So talk about the perfect mentor for him in this new position. And I would even make the argument that Ryan Grubb, if I'm Ryan Grubb, I am picking Leslie Frazier's brain too. Like this guy knows how to combat modern NFL offenses. As an offensive coordinator, I want to know what I can do to start combating some of these defenses out there that have made these adjustments. You can learn so much from a coach on the other side of the ball. So I feel like all these coaches and maybe Carl Scott has the most to gain because Leslie Frazier has a defensive backs background. He played defensive back for the Bears in 1985. He's coached secondary for nearly a dozen years in the NFL away from his assistant head coaching job and head coaching position. So really, he's going to help all these guys out because of the experiences and the wide array of things that he's done in the league. No, no question about it. I mean, we, we celebrated this hire when it happened, and I think it's notable that it hired that uh, they, that Leslie Frazier was hired before any of these coordinators. If you're just going to kind of take a quick uh, glimpse back into the rearview mirror here, and we again we celebrated this hiring then, and I think that it's even more critical now. When again, you look at all those zeros uh, in in terms of years of experience as far as head coach, offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinators. So again, Les, Leslie Frazier is the experienced man in the room. He's been through the wars, as as both you and Mike McDonald said. I, I think that's a really good way of, of putting it. I also think that it is a a nice departure. You want to have some experience, but you also it. As you often say about the players, it's a young man's game. And you think about some of the coaches who are out there, obviously Andy Reid is, is having his success here with Kansas City. And I think a lot of that has to do with a young player, his quarterback. But at the same time, otherwise, you look at some of the, the, the best coaches in the NFL right now, and you're talking about some very young men in comparison to what we've talked about in the past. I mean, the Sean McVays, the Kyle Shanahan's, the, the Mike McDonald's, the, you know, whoever the, the case, or excuse me, Mike McDaniels for, for Miami. Um, you know, you see a lot of these, uh, Mike Tomlin for, from Pittsburgh, just to throw another mic out there. The point is, is that I, I do like the aggression that the John Schneider and the Seahawks front office as a whole, the ownership group as a whole is going with here by going with a younger crew um, to perhaps allow Seattle to not just compete right now, but have the idea of competing for a decade in the future. There's no question that Leslie Frazier can have a monumental impact on the early success for Mike McDonald, and the rest of the staff. And this could be a position he ends up holding for several years until some of these other coaches are ready to take that mantle as experienced coaches that can start to tutor other coaches. And so that's what you're hoping plays out here. We'll have to see who else gets added to the staff. They may add a few more coaches that have been around the block a few times. But right now, Leslie Frazier is clearly the lead dog in that regard. And a lot of these young pups, they're going to be turning to him as they try to adopt, adapt 
to this new position they're going to have with the Seahawks. Up next, we're going to zoom back to free agency in the trenches. Damian Lewis has been a four-year starter at guard for the Seahawks, but will he be back in 2024? We'll discuss and debate coming up next here on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams, whether it's quick bets, you can Bet on who's got the first basket of the night. Live games, same game parlays, including LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Each scored 25 points for the Lakers. Exclusive props, including King James. Once he going to score his 40,000th point and much more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Any special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Heading towards the start of a new league year, the Seahawks have a lot of pressing personnel questions But I think a strong argument can be made when you look on offense and defense, the two position groups that are the biggest question marks for the Seahawks right now. On defense, none of the guys with starting experience are under contract after March 13th. On the offensive side of the ball, none of the three projected starters in the interior offensive line at the beginning of last year are under contract either. And among those set to hit free agency, Four-year starter Damian Lewis, he hit the ground running as a third-round pick out of LSU, a day-one starter in the trenches. He made the Pro Football Writers Association all-rookie team. He has started the vast majority of the games the last four years. There's been a few injuries sprinkled in there. And overall, he has been a rock-solid asset in the middle of the offensive line. He's probably been Seattle's most consistent offensive lineman over the past four years. And yet, Rob, you and I know the cost of – paying for offensive linemen in the NFL. It continues to go up because there's just so few of them that are really good at it. And if Damian Lewis hits the free agent market, uh, that creates kind of a murky situation for the Seahawks who don't necessarily have a lot of cap space to work with. They have a lot of other positions that they need to address financially. So I think this is truly one of those up in the air players going into free agency for the Seahawks. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, Corbin, when the Seahawks drafted Damian Lewis out of LSU and he signed a four-year deal worth basically $5 million, I mean, $1.25 million, at least in base salary on average per season, Seattle got a steal. I mean, this is a four-year starter. And as you said, I mean, he was all part of the all-rookie team at that point. He was you know, basically about as bargain basement of uh, of a player as you possibly can get in terms of the value that he provides to the Seahawks. But, 
a four-year starter who is still, I believe, what, 27 years old at this point, 28 years old, um, you know, he is going to be expecting a significant raise. So how much of a raise are we talking about? Well, just, just look at some of the, the contracts that other four-year starter interior offensive linemen have, have received. And you're talking about an average of $10 million per season, $11, 12000000 per Per season, not one and a half to one point two five million in base salary that Damian Lewis just provided just uh, was was for the Seahawks. So again, when we're having this conversation about how the Seahawks are going to be able to fit all of this talent into under the salary cap, if you want to bring Damian Lewis back, then you are going to have to lose somebody else. And so that is the conversation. That's that's why we talked about in just yesterday's show about guys like a Geno Smith or a Leonard Williams. I think in a very real way, a younger player like a Damian Lewis, who happens to be playing a position that is probably the biggest area of concern, especially given, again, Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator, zero years of experience in the NFL. Scott Huff, offensive line coach, zero years of experience in the NFL. You know that John Schneider wants to bring Damian Lewis back. He has been the picture of consistency, reliability, um, you know, versatility. He slided, slid over to play the center position before as well. But has he played well enough to justify a raise of 10 times as much as what he got before? Again, this is going to be a fascinating decision the Seahawks have in front of them. Yeah, this is maybe the free agent for the Seahawks that I am the most torn about here. Because let's start with the reasons for bringing him back. And I think there's plenty of reasons to bring back Damian Lewis. You mentioned the fact that as a four-year starter, he's still in the prime of his career. This guy should have a lot of good football left in front of him. Last year, according to Pro Football Focus, when the Seahawks ran behind the left guard, where Damian Lewis was at, they averaged 5.5 yards per carry. So they were extremely effective when they ran behind him. That has been his most consistent strength in the NFL. At 330 pounds, he has the ability to maul people at the line of scrimmage. And yet, I still feel like there has not been the consistency in that regard that you were hoping from a guy who really made his living at LSU, pancaking guys, knocking them off the line of scrimmage, there just have been too many times where he gets into these lulls where you just don't see those plays where he's really getting after people. So the consistency, at least in my opinion, has not been there. And then pass pro, he's been a mid-level starting guard in the league, which is fine. The Seahawks have had way worse at the guard positions, but we haven't really seen him improve that much since his rookie season, Rob. It seems like he's been very stagnant as a pass protector. And so that makes me hesitant when we're looking at price points. Like, I, I'll put up the highest paid guards here in the NFL for those that are watching on YouTube, and I'll go through some of the names here. Damian Lewis is not going to be in the same discussion as a Chris Lindstrom for the Falcons or Quentin Nelson for the Colts, who are making 20 plus billion dollars. He's not going to be getting that kind of money thrown at him. But Lakin Tomlinson, who is a good player, I don't think he's a great guard by any means. The Jets are paying him 13.3 million per year. Shaq Mason with the Texans. He's a pretty good player, but I wouldn't call him elite. $11.7 million. Nate Davis, who went to the Bears last year, got paid $10 million per year. I think Damian Lewis is very comparable, if not a little bit better than Nate Davis. And I like Nate Davis. I was a fan of him. I thought the Seahawks should take a look at him last year in free agency. But what I'm arguing here is Track is listing Damian Lewis right now, market value, at a little over $7 million per year. There are not a lot of guards that are going to be hitting the open market, though. So if Damian Lewis does at his age, being a four-year starter, uh, that 
price point is going to get inflated. There are going to be teams that are going to be offering 10 plus million dollars. And that's why I'm torn. On one hand, I could see this guy being a great fit for what Mike McDonald wants to do, a physical brand of football, get back to running the ball. At the same time, though, is he effective enough in that regard and with his pass protection being what I would say is middling compared to the rest of the league? He's okay. He's not exceptional or great. Is that a guy that you pay that price point for when you have a lot of other free agents that, quite frankly, I think offer more value at their respective positions? Yeah, value, I think it's the key word that you just said there, um, you know, because I don't know that the CX are going to get value at this point. Um, you know, again, I, I I know what Spotrex said, seven point. $7 million for a guy. I think that he is going to get significantly more than that. I think that he's significantly better than that number, at least in comparison to a bunch of those names that, that you just showed there. I mean, the, the idea that he is a third of the player of, of some of those all pro candidate uh, kind of, of guards, that to me is just laughable. And I think that he is going to get paid significantly more than that. And I think that the, the CX pride themselves. They want to uh, reward the players that do it the right way. And, and Damian Lewis has always shown a great deal of toughness. Again, the versatility, the ability to be able to slide over and play that center position. I think that he can guard position that's traditionally one of the positions in which those the the guys who are better run blockers like Damian Lewis is and I 100% agree with your assessment of him that he is better at just moving people at the line of scrimmage and sneaking up to the second level and moving people at that point but the pass protection that is why the addition of Ryan Grubb as offensive coordinator to me is so interesting here when you talk about how much does Seattle want to prioritize the interior of the offensive line. On the one hand, you have Mike McDonald saying that we want to be physical. We want to run a football. And then you have a offensive coordinator here in Ryan Grubb, who of course had his most recent success, University of Washington, Fresno State, and throwing the ball. So are you going to allocate that amount of money, make Damian Lewis your highest paid offensive lineman, and you're going to throw the ball in an area that you know Damian Lewis hasn't been all that successful in pass protection? You know, especially considering the defensive tackles that are in the NFC West, you know, <coughs> Eric Armstead, <coughs> Aaron Donald, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, my goodness, you have to be careful about how you're going to allocate these dollars, especially in a draft class that is yep. as bloated along among offensive linemen as this one is. So again, I, you know, Corbin, you, you basically kind of just, um, explained why this is quite the conundrum. Hey, I, I want the Seahawks to sign Damian Lewis. I think he's a terrific player, but I think that there's got to be a number in which you just are not willing to go over. To me, I'm going to just throw out the easy number of $10 million is going to be the number that I will consider. You get over 10.0001. I don't know. I think I'm looking to the 2024 NFL draft. I'm even going to go lower, Rob. I'm going to say eight and a half to nine would be my max. I just think the Seahawks have too many other areas that they need to spend money right now to get this football team where it needs to be. And I think the other reason I'm viewing this, how many guard prospects have we talked about in the last week in this draft class that could be in play in the first round or the second round? We've talked about quite a few of them. So I think you also got to look towards the draft and say, look, that is a position that we have to strongly consider investing in in the draft. Mm -hmm. Now, you could do that and resign Damian Lewis, but as you mentioned, there's a trade-off there. Who are you going to let go 
with the money that you're going to have to use to pay Damian Lewis. So this one I'm truly 50-50 on. I can see the Seahawks re-signing him, but if they don't, or if the price point goes beyond a certain point, I think John Schneider is going to have to say thanks, but no thanks. And so this is truly one we don't know what is going to happen until free agency gets here on March 13th. Shifting to the draft, we might talk about a potential replacement for Damian Lewis coming up next. We are going to look at a bunch of Washington Husky offensive players that could be potential fits to reunite with Ryan Grubb with the Seahawks. Don't go away. You're listening to our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience, that's what brings home the winning trophy, and it also keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance, whether it's superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. If you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're going to be burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12 that tuning in on this wonderful Wednesday night. And thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to check out Locked On's first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for your 24-7 coverage of the top sports stories with local experts from Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Shifting gears from free agency to the draft, and I know some of our listeners are going to be saying, well, the NFL draft is still more than two months away, but the combine is two weeks away, and then you're going to have pro days, and then I promise every one of you that the NFL draft is going to be here in like five minutes. That's the way that this process plays out, and what makes the coaching cycle so intriguing from a Seahawks standpoint, we talked about all the inexperience in the first segment But there is a benefit to that, and it comes back to the fact that you have a head coach, a special teams coordinator, and an offensive coordinator that were all working in the college ranks within the last three years. And two of those coaches, Ryan Grubb, the OC, he was at Washington last year. They made the national championship game. Mike McDonald was the defensive coordinator. Michigan made the playoff that year. They've made the playoffs each of the last three years. So he's very familiar with the players that are going to be entering the draft from Michigan this year, as is Ryan Grubb with the prospects from Washington. And I think that's where we have to start this discussion, Rob, because Washington's got some defensive players that are going to get drafted. No question about it. But this team made the final because of their offense for the most part. And there is a ton of top-tier talent that could be available for Ryan Grubb to Pitch some persuasion to John Schneider. Hey, we might want to bring in a few of these guys to the NFL and let me keep coaching them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, the offensive line coach, Scott Huff. I mean, he, I I think both of those men are going to basically be kind of pounding the table. Hey, 
there are an awful lot of Huskies. There are an awful lot of other Pac-12 players, uh, you know, players that they scouted uh, significantly in terms of University of Texas, University of Michigan, uh, that they played in both of those playoff games that maybe they just recognize, hey, these guys can really play uh, at the next level. And, you know, there was an argument out there, Corbin, when Pete Carroll initially joined the Seahawks, and obviously he and John Schneider collaborated, had a great deal of success. That that you know, because Pete Carroll had been the head coach at USC and had recruited a lot of these young men back in high school, and obviously watched them as they performed at the college level, that he had a different level of insight as head coach um, to kind of again collaborate with John Schneider, who I think is as good of a talent scout as there is in among any of the general managers in the NFL, that that was the kind of secret sauce, so to speak, behind Seattle's success. And again, I think that they're trying to duplicate that now. And that is exactly what the, the UW tandem, UW tandem that, uh, that the Seahawks just brought in here as far as OC and offensive line coach. And you, you look at this group of the Huskies in particular, Corbin, this was a unbelievable year for the Huskies, not only in terms of them qualifying for the national championship game, but the fact that there were 13 players from the University of Washington who were invited to the combine. And that is a, record at the University of Washington. And as you correctly said, sir, the the real talent on this squad, with all due respect to a possible first-round pick, like a Braylon Trice, uh, as far as an edge rusher, really was on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, had the Heisman Trophy uh, runner-up in uh, Michael Penix Jr. You had a dominant wide receiver, a, a Morris Trophy Award winner, Troy Fotanu, um, at, at the left tackle position. Again, dominant wide receiver. I mentioned Roma Dunze, but Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk were both spectacular as well. Those of you watching on YouTube can see all of these different players. I mean, there is literally eight, nine guys out there. Uh, I think that you're going to wind up seeing the quarterback drafted, at least a couple of offensive linemen drafted, three wide receivers, two tight ends, the running back. I mean, my goodness, it is an unbelievable collection of talent. And that's where I think that Ryan Grubb and Scott Huff have got to just be kind of, you know, excited about the possibility of bringing some of those players to the Seahawks. So that really begs the question. I mean, it, are the Seahawks going to be considering Michael Penix number 16? I would argue that if they were going to draft a Husky at number 16 overall, the most likely candidate is probably going to be Troy Fautano because obviously the wide receiver position, you feel like you're pretty much stacked at, at this point. Roma Dunes is a terrific player if he is available. I think he's good enough, frankly, depending on what you want to do with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf moving forward, then, then perhaps he should be somebody to consider. But again, to me, for the conversation that we just had a moment ago about the questions about Damian Lewis at left guard, maybe Troy Fotanu can uh, fill that role. If you have some questions about the former Washington State player, Abe Lucas, the right tackle position, Roger Rosengarten, uh, if, uh, if you're in a possible trade-down scenario in the second round, perhaps in the middle portion of the third round, Roger Rosengarten. Look, I know we got beat in the national championship game. Michigan's a good football team. He's going to get beat sometimes. But if pass protection is truly what you're looking to do, Rosengarten has got a great deal of upside. And then, oh, by the way, Corbin, we've talked so much about the tight end position. They've got The Huskies have a couple of, of terrific tight ends. I would argue the best senior crop of tight ends in, in all of college football. And Jack Westover and Devin Culp's 
Again, there are just so many different kids. I would be surprised, frankly, if the Seahawks exit the 2024 NFL draft without selecting at least one Husky, quite possibly more than one. Sometimes when you see coaches jump from college to the NFL, there's always a speculation, oh, they're going to want to draft their own players. A lot of times it doesn't work that way. But we did see Pete Carroll. It was the seventh round, but he drafted Malcolm Smith out of USC. And that obviously panned out just fine. Super Bowl MVP a couple of years into his NFL career. So there are definitely some exceptions to the rule where we have seen coaches come from the college ranks. And whether they're OCs or their head coaches or DCs, whatever position they're holding, that they are able to persuade the general manager to make a pick to bring in a player. And I think that it would be a criminal offense if John Schneider is not looking closely to number these Washington players because they are among the very best in their position groups. And I'm glad that you mentioned the tight end position because for me, there's a little bit of a personal anecdote here. Jack Westover played at Mount Sy High School and I was the running backs coach at Mount Sy in 2017 when he was a senior. I only got to see Jack Westover play in three games, but I could already tell you that this kid had incredible upside. He was mainly a basketball player before that year, but you could see the basketball skills and the play that he got hurt on in our third game. He scored a touchdown on, and the poor cornerback that was trying to tackle him, I think they're still scraping him up off the turf at this moment. I mean, he just absolutely truck sticked him and he's 250 pounds. He can jump out of a building. I mean, I think he's going to test incredibly well at the combine. He is the tight end of the two that I like the most. And yet Devin Culp, I think is going to be a very solid NFL tight end as well. The Seahawks could lose as many as all three of their tight ends from last year, depending on how things play out. That might be the position that Ryan Grubb is most likely to bring in one of his former players because of the need and the fact that they're going to be really good fits in his offense. You know, Corbin, I love the fact that you just talked about Jack Westover because to me, he is one of my absolute favorite players in this draft class. And I, I because I live in the state of Washington, I didn't graduate from UW. Look, I, I, I want the Huskies to have success. I want Washington State to have a great deal of success. I'm a Central Washington Wildcat and very damn proud of it. But uh, at the same time, I don't have any direct allegiance to any of these programs. So when I say that Westover is one of my favorite players, it's because I see an instinctive quality football player. There's a lot of the little things right, which is incredible considering, as you uh, mentioned a moment ago, that most of his high school career played basketball. That is something that I know the Seahawks and frankly every other NFL team out there is going to value very, very highly. And you mentioned Devin Culp. Culp is the guy I actually expect to run faster I think that Westover is a better functional, more instinctive football player. Again, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Seahawks decide, whether it be tight end, whether it be the offensive line, whether it be wide receiver, because the Huskies, of course, have so many different moving parts at those positions. I would be surprised if the Seahawks don't take advantage of that. I know everybody wants to just, uh, you know, link the Seahawks with Michael Penix Jr. And, and hey, I'd, I'd love to have a quarterback that has his youth and has his accuracy, his arm strength. I think that that would be a great fit for the Seahawks moving forward. But it is much more than Michael Penix Jr. as far as the Huskies that the Seahawks are going to be evaluating. And again, I love the fact that you mentioned Westover because to me, he is one of the players I think that would fit in the best.
And you mentioned Polk and McMillan. I mean, those two guys had really productive careers at Washington, different style receivers. And if Seattle moves on from Tyler Lockett, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen on that front. It's possible that Seattle could decide to do that to open up cap space. I don't know that I would say it's likely, but it's certainly possible. You could be in the market for one of those receivers in this year's draft as well. And maybe even another running back. If DJ Dallas is gone in free agency, Dylan Johnson late in the draft could make some sense as a depth guy for the Seahawks. So all these pieces we just talked about could be potential fits for Ryan Grubb and the Seahawks. We'll see if any of these Huskies end up joining him with the Seahawks at the VMAC. As always, you can follow me on X and threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. When we return on Thursday, I'll be riding solo and I'll have some takeaways from the upcoming press conferences from Seattle's new trio of coordinators, plus taking a look at some Michigan prospects that Mike McDonald might be linked to that could be on the radar in this upcoming draft. As always, thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20.